I don't know, four or five, six weeks over there. And one of the things they gave me for my birthday, because my birthday is not, well, it was in August, um, uh, the 11th, if anybody's interested. Um, <laughs> I'll pay for that later. The, um, uh, one of the gifts they gave me when I was over there was to, a, a Jamie Oliver knife course. So you go along and you get trained how to actually use a knife and how to cut properly. And, and I love knives and I love cooking. Um, just suck at both. And uh, since I've come back from that, I have cut my left hand three times. <clears throat> this finger still doesn't have complete feeling back in the tip of it because that was the one I cut and I didn't go to the doctor. I just wrapped it up in a, in a um, Band-Aid and wrapped it tight and that took weeks to heal and probably months for me to get any feeling back in it at all. This one that I did on Friday night was I was actually cleaning the knife. My knives are very sharp. I actually, there's a chef in our church and when I came to Sunnybank, I said, listen, I want a decent set of knives. And he took me to this chef's place, and his initials are Rod Smith. <laughs> and he bought me this set of, uh, well, he recommended, I bought them, but he recommended these knives and said, that's what you need. And he got very thin blades. He said, most people buy, make the mistake, you get thick blades, and when you actually cut through vegetables, cooking lesson for you tonight, is it actually splits the veggies apart. What you need is a thin knife to actually cut through it. So I have thin, sharp Knives. I also like barbecuing because I like playing with matches, but that's another story. <clears throat> anyway, so whatever we did Friday afternoon after Kids Club, that afternoon I think Rhonda and I had some cheese and a cup of tea and, and we just left it there and the che there was cheese left on the knife and I don't like dirty knives, so I took it and I was cleaning it. And in the process of cleaning it, I turned the blade over and, you know, like... Yeah, I went... Oh, and I screamed, and uh, I did, and Rhonda came running. By then, I had it under the tap, and the tap was running, and I just couldn't stop it bleeding. I mean, these other ones, I could, like, get it to stop, and then was okay, but anyway, time we got down to the medical centre in Browns Plains, he, uh, it had stopped bleeding. I thought, oh, good, and uh, he said, it's only stopped bleeding because the blood has dried. He said, uh, once I clean that dry blood away, if it bleeds again, he said, uh, you're going to have to have stitches. So anyway, that's what ended up happening. We were there waiting and the worst part was actually waiting for him to come because you, you keep, well, I kept reliving it and Rhonda said I was gone white and I was in a bit of shock or something and that doesn't normally happen, but anyway, it did this time. And just so you know, don't ever go to that medical centre. <laughs> I didn't tell you where it was, did I? <laughs> I'm sure any doctor would do it, but he actually, when he gave me local anaesthetic, he actually stuck it in the cut in the wound? Oh, ow, you reckon? Oh, I hit the, I hit the roof. <clears throat> yeah. And it took a while, and that eventually it goes numb, and then I think he put 27 stitches in it. No, he didn't. It felt like it. Uh, I think he put two in it. But I'm a man, so there's 16 stitches in my thumb. No, there's two stitches in it. But it's a pretty deep cut, and... And, you know, that was Friday night. And, of course, since then, it's got to be dry until Wednesday or something, and then I've got to go back Friday and he'll take the stitches out. So I can't, can't shower, I can't do anything, can't wash with your left hand. and You don't realise... <laughs> no, I can't bath, can't shower for a week. <laughs> Best thing about it. <laughs> I'm sure we'll find a way. But you, if, you don't realise... Um, it's true of anything, isn't it? It's, whatever you heard is what you use. Or you notice it. 
So just driving the car, you know, you're looking carefully, you're driving carefully and you turn the air conditioning on, what do you do? Well, left thumb and forefinger and it's turn it. It's like, ouch! It just keeps, anyway. I can't turn the Bible with this thumb. It's... So I don't know how I'm going to preach with a sore thumb. I just can't work it out. Anyway, that's my life. So I'm pretty aware that the whole church knows because everybody I see is, how's the thumb? And I had a, an elder of our church tonight went out in sympathy. He greet, greeted me with a sore finger in sympathy for my cut thumb. So he should remain nameless, but he won't sell one. <laughs> anyway, Pastor David Butterfield's heading off to uh, Adelaide, as you've heard, on Wednesday. Rosemary's going with you? Oh, by yourself. And not sure when you're coming back. Oh, okay. And uh, Dad's having had or having a couple of operations? Having. having, yeah. So it's good for you to go and to be with him. And so we shall be praying for you, mate. Hmm. Um, and so I'm really sorry I missed Kids Club, but by the sound of it, I wouldn't fit it in anyway. <laughs> it was packed full. Isn't that exciting? God is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to be together, to learn together. Thank you for those magnificent truths that we've been singing about. You are wonderful, Lord, and you've acted on our behalf. You've forgiven us, you've saved us, you've got a plan and a purpose for our lives and you intend for us to grow and to even get better at it. And at the end of all of that, you're going to take us to be with yourself into perfection. Lord, help us to stay focused in this part of the journey and help us to live lives that just please and honour you. We thank you for each other, for your word and for your spirit. Speak to us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Uh, Brendan and Josh are at QTC and they're on a, actually a college mission and part of... You're here. <laughs> what commitment is that? Uh, pray for Brendan that he sleeps tonight. He doesn't sleep very much, this boy. Um, that's a whole other story. Anyway, you guys are on special mission this week is what I was going to say and uh, Josh will be joining that, I think, and part of your thing. You preached this morning. How'd you go? Um, yep, enjoyed it. 57 converted or something like that. <laughs> so 29 converted. <laughs> Good. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, weekends ago, I'm not... The youth had a camp, and Joel was a speaker at it. And uh, one of the messages Joel would have given would have been on guidance. Is that true? Oh, I want to talk about I want to talk about guidance tonight. Sorry, not explicitly. Okay. Um, and next Sunday, starting next Sunday, we start a new series. We're looking at the letter of one John, and Joel's going to be our speaker next Sunday night. And so I'm doing the morning service, and Joel's at night. Um, so tonight I just wanted to take what is a very famous verse, it's certainly in the top 10 of memory verses, John, uh, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't rely on your, and in all your ways, and let's close in prayer. Um, it's a very famous verse, probably, like I said, one of the top ten of verses people know. I can remember the very first verse I ever learnt, John 3.16. And the second one I think I ever learnt was Revelation 3.20. Uh, 
and then probably John 1, 12, I can remember those, and somewhere after that would have been Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It just got quoted again and again and again. And it's a great, I was going to say promise, it's a great indicator of how God is at work in the world. And it's God at work directing our paths, but we're not just passive passengers, we've got a responsibility. And this verse, it says that we are to trust in Him with all of our heart, we are not to rely on our understanding, we are to acknowledge Him in all of our ways, and then He will be the one directing our paths. So we're just going to unpack that a little bit tonight, just simply. You would have heard of a man called John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. If you haven't, then that's who he was. He was a man who was a part of the Anglican Church who went to the United States of America on a mission. He was part of a group called the Holy Club and part of being a part of the Holy Club, their commitment was that they would remain single, never get married, commit themselves to God's work. And he wasn't converted yet. But when he was in America, he met this lady, her name was Sophia. And he just fell, she was apparently just drop-dead gorgeous and he fell in love with her and he wanted to marry her. And so he was torn between, should I marry her or should I remain single as I've committed myself to the Holy Club? He had a friend called Charles, as well as a brother, whom we'll hear about in a moment. But this friend Charles uh, gave him counsel and said to him, listen, why don't we write the three options that we have to marry her? So they wrote that on a bit of paper. Second option, to think not, not of it again this year how they said it back then so in other words yeah marry her but not just yet just wait or thirdly third option is don't marry her so three options yes um, not yet just wait a bit longer and then marry her or thirdly no they put the three bits of paper in a hat and Charles John's friend put his hand in and pulled out the third option don't marry her and John Wesley was devastated but true to his word, he believed that God was guiding him in some way. It broke his heart, but nonetheless accepted it as the will of God. He got on a boat, he went back to England and he wrote in his journal, snatched as a brand out of the fire. It's romantic, cute, isn't he? Snatched as a brand out of the fire. That was close. He was 32 years of age. About on the way back to England, I think he gets converted. He actually meets... Um, um, confronts the living God and the person of Jesus, his own um, frailty and his own mortality and fear of death and cries out to God for mercy and has a, a true life-saving experience of being redeemed through Jesus. Gets back to England, has an effective evangelistic ministry that goes for about a dozen years. Well, about 13 years after Sophia, he meets another lady, a widow. Her name was Grace Murray. He's now about mid-40s, 45, something like that. And so this time he used a different method. This time he wrote down a list of the seven qualities that he would look for in a partner, in a wife. Do you want to know the list? You, you guys should write this down, I think. Um, it's not overly complimentary, but anyway. Number one, a housekeeper. Well, that says it all, really, doesn't it? It's a nurse. I wonder why he would want a nurse. A companion, so that's nice, if, well a friend. Then he says, a Christian, someone with the gifts of the Spirit, so a godly character, and someone who has evident fruits in her life of being a follower of Jesus. So a good list. He checked her life out against that and she got seven out of seven. He ticked all boxes. But he had a brother, Charles. Charles didn't think it was a good idea for him to get married. 
He had an effective evangelistic ministry. He thought getting married is going to be a distraction for him and so he advised him not to do it. He took Charles's advice, got on a horse, rode over to Grace Murray's house, got off the horse, ran inside, fell on his knees before her and said, Grace Murray, you have broken my heart. And then he fainted, not her, him. And she thought, this is weird. <laughs> she was shocked by it. So she immediately went off and got married to somebody else. Who'd want to marry a kook like that? Strike two. Strike three. A year and a half later, aged 47, he met another widow, this time a wealthy widow. Her name was Mary, not that that's important. And he made a mistake. He married her. He was incredibly unhappy for 20 years. At the end of 20 years, she left him. And he wrote in his journal, I didn't leave her, I wouldn't send her away, I will not recall her. Sad, isn't it? Made a mistake. So how does God guide us through life circuit? Does he do it through lots? You ever done that? Does it through advice of others, then putting input into our life? Does he do it through our mistakes? There was a person, a Christian, who was driving in Washington, D.C., that's where they lived, and they were wondering about whether they should serve God, and they were wondering where they should serve God, and their car broke down as they were driving through the city one day, and it broke, happened to break down in front of the Philippine um, Embassy. And their conclusion? God thinks, God's calling me to serve in the Philippines because their car broke down on the outside of it. Or an equally weird one. I mean, I could tell you some of my own weird stories of what I've done to try and determine God's will, but another story for another time, I guess. This particular lady was wondering about whether she should go to, the Philippine, uh, to Israel, the land of Israel or not. And when she was looking at a brochure on Israel, it says that there was a plane, you catch a plane, and the plane is a 747. That sort of struck her. The next morning, her alarm clock went off, the clock went off and guess what time it was? 7.47. She drew the conclusion that God wants her to get on the 7.47 plane to go to Israel. Isn't that wisdom? Just as a total aside, um, before Kate, my daughter and our daughter and her husband Dan went to England, they lived with us for about two or three months and you know they get up like really early, they used to, like five o'clock in the morning or something, go to work and Anyway, they started sleeping in and relaxing, and so that was good. Um, but whatever we were doing the next day, as they're going to bed that night, Dan says, you know, uh, what time do you want us up in the morning? To which Rhonda says, uh, you know, 6.30, 7, in that sort of range. What he heard, he tells us later, was, what time do you want me up? And Rhonda says, 6.30, 7. 6.37? <laughs> Guess what time he woke up? 6.37, he's sort of like freaking out. So God works in these ways, people, that's what I'm telling you. Well, enough of that. There are certainly lots of weird ways. I'll tell you one weird story that I have done, just one. When I went to Teachers College, when I was converted, did HSC my last year of high school and all of that, God had said very clearly to me, no girlfriends. I mean, I had them lined up, you know, it was... Uh, I wish. Anyway, no girlfriends. I want you to focus on studies. I want you to focus on developing your relationship with me. Okay, good. So that was fine. And then go to teacher's college. And on the very first week, orientation week, on the Friday of orientation week, at 11 o'clock in the morning, I remember the details. 
I'm serving on a table, a Christian table, where in the first week all of the Christians would come and sign up and stuff, and so I'm there helping out, and around the corner walks Rhonda with her friend, Susan State, and comes, and it was love at first sight. I took a few more weeks. (laughs) That always gets a laugh, always. Doesn't matter how many times I tell that story. Anyway. So then I had a dilemma. I really thought she was drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, I really think she is drop-dead gorgeous. So then I started praying, and then she had a roommate. Uh, we all had roommates in Teachers College in those days. And, and Rhonda had a roommate. Her name can remain nameless. I shall not name her publicly. For fear of death. <laughs> Cut thumb, it'll be... <clears throat> um, and she was... And I was torn. Which one, you know, God, I know you said no girlfriends, but both these girls are really nice and I would really like to go out with one of them. So this is my prayer. This is stupid. Don't do this. But I did it. I was a Christian 12 months. That's my excuse that I was just ignorant and desperate, really. And I said, Lord, it's seven o'clock. In the next half hour, if Rhonda or she who can't be named would knock on the door, then I know that's the girl you want me to go out with. 7.20, heart skips a beat, open the door and guess who? She who can't be named. (laughs) True story. And I went out with her for, I don't know, a couple of months, two, three months or something like that. And she was, uh, doesn't matter, she was an attractive young girl and a Christian. And, but she was a bit messed up and as it turned out anyway, we broke up and, and that was difficult. And, and then, you know, Rhonda got me on the rebound really, so. <laughs> no. Then, uh, then I saw the light. So what was God doing? Well, I tell you that story, I wasn't going to, but I tell you that story for this very simple reason. Even when you do stupid things like that and you you reap the consequences of foolishness, God can still work his purposes out in your life. He is a sovereign God and he does allow us to make dumb choices. But it's not necessarily the end of the road for us. And that verse, this verse particularly, I think gives us that indication. If you trust in him with all your heart, not relying on yourself and your own input and your own ideas like I was then, Um, but acknowledging God, being faithful to him, then he will direct your paths. God's will for us is good. It's not bad medicine. Some of us are caught up in the idea that um, if if I really surrender and give my life to God, then he's going to do something to me that I really don't want to do. He's going to make me go to, you fill in the blank. He's going to make me go to wherever, Afghanistan or some place that you don't want to go to or or whatever it is. Um, Or he'll make me do something that I don't want to do. And it couldn't be further from the truth. God's will is not something that you will be opposed to. It's something that will enthuse and fill and satisfy you. Because God is the one who made you and he knows exactly the best thing for you to be doing. It's just a matter of trusting him and putting the reins of your life in his hands and allowing him to lead you. Well, here are five quick things. Time's going to go on me tonight. Um, Here are five quick ways... We've taught this before over the years, so this is really just a very quick reminder and then I want to get to these two verses. 
How does God guide us? Well, you tell me. Five ways. Number one. Bible. That's number one. The will of God is in the Word of God. He tells us exactly how we should live. They're general principles and also commands, sometimes specific commands in terms of you shall not do this or you will do this. They can be specific, but they're general for all people. They're not specific in terms of I won't find Rhonda's name in the Bible. So the Bible, God speaking to me through the Bible is not going to tell me to marry Rhonda. But there are principles there that I'm to marry someone who is a follower of Jesus, to marry someone who is compatible and so on. Biblical principles. Yep, so God guides us through the Bible. Number two, God guides us by... What did we say? Prayer? Yeah, God's... As we pray and, and speak to God in prayer, then God also speaks back to, us, back to us. So God guides us by speaking to us by His Spirit. And often that'll be an internal voice. Certainly you read John 14, 15, 16, you'll find that the Spirit of God coming and read the list of what the Spirit of God does. It's Him teaching, Him instructing, Him guiding us in His ways. And so you'll find the Spirit of God will be communicating with you. Yep. Three. Sorry. Yeah, through other Christians, God will guide us through saints and the advice of godly people. Certainly many examples of that in the Bible. Um, Book of Proverbs says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. In a multitude of the counsels there is safety. The NFL calls it the fourth and one. That's when, I don't know if you follow the NFL, most of you probably don't. That's the guy who throws the ball, the quarterback. He gets four goes to go ten metres, ten yards. When he's in a close situation, he's got one yard to go and it's the fourth, it's his last chance. You'll often see him call a timeout and he'll walk over and talk to the coach. They call it the fourth and one. It's that sort of thing of, what do you think I should do here? Normally it's the coach, the quarterback calling the shots on the ground himself. Anyway, that's just my own particular interest. Yep, saints. So scripture, by his spirit, when we pray to him, through the advice of others, godly saints, how else? Well, I'd put that back with the Spirit and stuff, but yep, the Spirit of God certainly speaks to us. Dreams, visions, words of knowledge, words of discernment. Yep, and inner voice. Associated with the inner part, God guides us by our... That's number five, don't rush ahead of me. God guides us by our desires. And this is dangerous. Because the Bible says, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that our heart is wicked. Who can understand it? That if you just follow your own desires, you can just be completely selfish. So that's why it's dangerous. But the Bible also says that God has worked in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's at work in my desires. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So God can be the one who's giving you the desires. Well, how do you know? Well, it comes out of a relationship. But basically, um, we've taught this before, so just... It's God's will for you to be saved, to know the Lord Jesus, to be spirit-filled and to be submissive. This is the will of God for you. To be sanctified, to be obeying his commands. It's God's will for you to be certainly submitting to those in authority over you and to be prepared to, be su- to suffer for him. If you're doing all of those things in your life, you're saved, you're spirit-filled, you're sanctified, you're submissive, you're prepared to suffer for the Lord Jesus then you're not in control of the desires of your life, he is. And when that's true, then you can trust the desires of your heart. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in you. You have peace about doing something. So personal anecdote for me, 
1973, my last year at high school, I was heading off to go to Sydney to go to the uh, Physical Education Institute, whatever it was. I was going to train to be a PE teacher in high school and then I was going to go on from that to be an AFL coach. That was my career path, that's what I wanted to do. And got converted, became a Christian. I found by the end of the year, having been accepted at that college, university, whatever, and having done all the paperwork, I got to the end of the year, got my mark from my HSC where I qualified to the universities, and then I suddenly went, actually, I don't want to do that now. I think I'll go to Wagga and become a primary school teacher. The desire of the heart. It wasn't something I was deliberately seeking, but I was certainly praying and asking God to be directing me. And I made that decision. I had great peace about it. I thought it was exactly the right thing to do. And then I met Rhonda there. So clearly, it's God working his purposes out. So God does guide us through desires. And as Margie said, he also guides us through circumstances. God opens doors, closes doors. Um, but not just circumstances by itself, because circumstances can lead you in the wrong way. A quick example is Jonah, chapter 1. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah disobeyed. And Jonah went the opposite way. He went down to uh, Joppa. And it says in just the beginning of the chapter, verse 3, thereabouts, that he, he found a ship heading for Tarshish. Now, back in those times, those ships weren't there every day and they weren't there every week. But when he was rebelling, circumstantially, there just happened to be a ship there that would take him on his course of disobedience that way. Circumstantially, it was disobedient, which is why God intervened in such a dramatic way. Sends a storm, sends the big fish, gets Jonah back on course. So circumstances by itself is not enough. But whenever you find God leading you, you'll find that he is also doing something circumstantially. So God does guide us through the scriptures, absolutely, confidently and clearly by his spirit, through our desires, through other peoples and through circumstances. And you put all of those together and you'll get a sense of the Lord directing you. Now, please don't hear me saying, oh, if I just do those five things, it'll be very easy. It's sometimes very difficult to discover exactly what God wants you to do. And my only advice to you in those situations is, this is what I do. I simply say, Lord, I'm, I'm still confused. I'm not exactly sure what you want me to do. I have these couple of options. I'm going to do that one. I think that's the best one for me to do. And, but I'm doing it, I want to submit to you. And if this is not the right way to go, then please do something. Just stop me doing it or do something like that. That's what I do um, when I have to make a decision and I have to move forward. So what does this verse give us then in the context of those five things that we can do to discover God's will? Well, here is the attitude that we're to have. We are to have this attitude of trusting God to work his will and purposes out in our life. But whatever we're doing it, we're doing it with a heart which is wanting to please and love Him. So it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's number one. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you haven't yet surrendered your life to Him, if you haven't confessed that you have fallen short of His glory, if you haven't come to Him and asked to be forgiven, if you haven't invited Him to be your Saviour and Lord, if you haven't got to that point, that's your first thing that's God's will for you John chapter 6 verse 29 a group of people asking Jesus a question what does God want us to do John 6 29 this is the will of God for you to believe in the name of the one he has sent that's number one to believe in Jesus all this other stuff doesn't follow until that's in place God will want you to know him and to be in relationship with him 
if you have done that, then this verse is also for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not just that first time when we make the decision to become a follower of Jesus. This is the surrender of our life, this ongoing aspect. That's the presenting our lives as a living sacrifice to him. It's having the Gethsemane mindset, the, you know, the not my will, but your will be done. Whatever your will is, Lord, I will do it. Just make it clear for me and lead me in your ways. You contrast that with, I want to keep my options open. I want to be the one who makes the choices here. God, what do you want me to do? And I add that to the list. And no, I don't like that one. I'll do what I want. It's contrasting that attitude totally. It's, Lord, whatever you are doing, I trust you. I think you are good. I think you are all wise and all knowing. And I want you to direct me. Then he says, um, not to rely on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own understanding. He expands that in verse 7. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. This verse does not mean that we kiss our brains goodbye. That we don't think, that we don't plan, that we don't evaluate, that we don't diagnose. doesn't mean that. Proverbs 16 verse 3, a couple of chapters later, is going to tell us that if we make our plans and we are to submit them to God make our plans it's simply this verse is talking about not leaning not relying completely and only on our own understanding why not well because life is complicated we don't have all of the facts we have some of them we're very limited and we are fallible and sometimes we get it wrong so by all means think plan anticipate but to do so submitting to god Lord, this is my best shot of what I should do. What do you think? Proverbs 28 verse 26 says, The fool is the one who trusts in his own heart. We need God's input into our life. We need to invite him to help guide our thinking, to guide our desires, to guide us according to the principles of Scripture, to seek godly counsel from others and to read what's going on circumstantially for us. I probably have told you this story before about a bloke who was in a church that we used to be part of in Sydney. And he had been an MAF pilot in New Guinea for many years, 20 years or whatever. His name was John, John Davidson. And he was a very good MAF pilot. But MAF pilots in New Guinea fly by sight. They fly by looking out the windows left and right and reading the clouds and all the rest of it and they anticipate and respond. And he finished up with MAF and came back to Sydney and he wanted to continue as a pilot and so he had to get retested and so he went to the small, smaller airport in Sydney, which is uh, Bankstown, and he went about half a dozen times and he kept failing the test. Guess what he kept doing wrong? He kept flying by what he was doing in New Guinea for 20 years by looking out the window and the instructor kept telling him, don't do that. Read your, read your instrument panel and trust them. You have to fly by instruments, not by sight. And it took him a while, at least half a dozen goes, before he finally could discipline himself to trust the implements, the instruments. Well, we're the same. God has given us an instrument panel in the scriptures and he wants us to trust him. That's what God says. God says, don't gossip. Well, trust him. God says, deal with your anger when the sun goes down. Deal with it as quickly as possible. Well, trust him. Sometimes it goes counter-cultural and it goes counter to the advice that we were raised with. It's taking God at his word. But I love this person and I want to marry them, but they're not a follower of the Lord Jesus. Well, the scripture says you should only marry someone who is a follower of the Lord Jesus. It's not wise. 
It's not the end of the world. It's not the biggest mistake that you're capable of making, but it's not wise. And it's contrary to what God has revealed to us. And if we don't do what God has directed us to do, you can expect heartache or frustration or pain. It will come. Just like John Wesley made the mistake for him the third time, 20 years of difficulty. So no matter how smart we are or how clever we are or how much life experience we've had, we're still limited. And so Solomon is saying to the person here, you know, don't lean on your own understanding. By all means, use it. But don't just rely on it. Submit to God and to his word and to the advice of others. And then he says, acknowledge God in all your ways and he will direct your paths. To acknowledge God in all our ways. To acknowledge God is both to know him, but also to live consistent with those truths that we know about him. Saturate ourselves with his word, his principles, his commands. In all your ways, every area of life. Finances, relationships, family, career or work, rest, work, play, leisure activities, every area of my life, living it according to his principles, his word, his guidelines. If there's just one area of my life that I keep secret, keep compartmentalised away from God, that everything else is submitted to him, but this one little thing, it only takes one hole to sink a boat. It only takes one little area over here for us to puncture this walking closely with God experience. That's certainly what happened for Solomon. 1 Kings 11 verse 4 tells a very sad story that he had, what, um, 700 wives and 300 concubines? I think it's in that order. And then it says that he loved God but not wholeheartedly because his wives led him astray. One little area of his life, off course, a thousand times. And then there's the wonderful promise. Trust God with all your heart. Don't rely on your understanding. Acknowledge him in every area of your life and you will experience him directing your life, your path. And the word directing, or in this one, it's he'll make your path straight. It's a word that's used a couple of times in the Old Testament, the Messiah. It means that where there was a road coming into a city and the king was coming, then they would make the roads smooth or straight. They'd fill in the potholes, they'd uh, try and lower the hills or the rises, and they would try to straighten out the bends in the road. That's what the psalmist is saying. That's what God will be doing, the proverb Solomon would God will do this in your life. It's not saying there won't be any obstacles. There'll still be bumps, there'll still be potholes, there'll still be bends in the road, but they won't be as bad. Still be there, but he'll be directing your paths. I'm not saying, I don't understand this proverb that Solomon is indicating, that therefore God will make me happy and healthy and thin and fit and popular and all the rest of it. I'm not saying that. But it is saying that to give my life direction, He'll give my life purpose. He'll give my life fulfilment. That he will be at work with me and through me. Let me finish with this story and then we're going to pray. And when we pray, I'm going to ask you to put your hands on your knees. And that when I pray, I'm going to give you the opportunity, if you would like to hand the control of your life over to God, if you've never done it before, then tonight would be a great time to do it. If you're not ready, 
well, then you're not ready. That's up to you. But if you are ready, if God has spoken to you tonight through any of these things, that you need to acknowledge him in all areas of your life, that there's some areas you need to be trusting him, then tonight I'm going to ask you to put your hands on your knees and when we pray to turn your hands over, have palms up and to be giving your life, the control of your life to him. We'll do that in just a moment. Let me finish with a very old story. It's about a T-model Ford. Who invented the T-model Ford? This story involves him. Driving along the road one day and there is a a very old T-model Ford pulled over to the side. A young guy who was driving it was out, the hood was up and he's tinkering it, he's trying to fix it and along comes the limousine. Guess who's in the limousine? And he gets out, dressed in a nice suit, comes over to the young man and the young guy looks at him and thinks, what do you know? And Henry Ford uh, talks to him and finds out that he'd done nearly everything that he could possibly do, the car won't go. And Henry Ford just says to him, just make a slight adjustment to that particular thing there. <laughs> That's what? That's the correct mechanic, mechanical term that you would use for a T-model Ford thing. And he thinks, the guy thinks, well, you don't know anything. Um, but he's tried everything, so he says, okay, I'll give it a go. And he does. He says, now your car will go. Crank it and it'll start. And he did. He cranks the engine and it kicks over and it's purring like it's a brand new car. The young guy's absolutely shocked and he says, how could you know so much about cars? He says, well, I'm Henry Ford. I'm the guy who invented the car. I know everything about the car. So the application's obvious, isn't it? God is the one who made you. God is the one who knows you. God is the one who knows exactly the best way for you to live. What you need to do is to trust him and entrust your life to him, to acknowledge him in all your ways, and you will experience the incredible life of him directing your paths to meaning and fulfilment. Let's pray. So, hands on knees. And if you want to do this, Uh, then pray this with me just quietly. Lord, I want you to manage my life. And so I want to trust you also with all of my heart. And I want you to make my path straight. So Lord, I want to hand my life to you. Help me to acknowledge you in all of my ways. Help me not to lean just on my own understanding. Lord, may your will be done in my life every day. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.